Part of why that reminded me of Amy's story is she told them at the end that that story was true. At least that's what I heard. You might want to go talk to her later. <laughs> All right. There is a play currently being performed in Chicago at the Silk Road Rising Theater. Uh, I haven't personally seen this play, but a friend of ours has told us about it. The play is entitled Christmas Mubarak. Christmas Mubarak. Mubarak is an Arabic word that means blessed. So it means blessed Christmas. The play tells the story of Jesus' birth as it is told in the Quran. Now you might not have realized that the story of Jesus' birth is told in the Quran, but it is. There's a version of the nativity. And so this author, Malik Jalani, decided to make a play out of the Quran version of Christmas. And he found a theater that would put the play on and it's performing. I think it's still playing as far as I know. Christmas Mubarak. The music, there's music in the play and the music is provided by a local Methodist church choir. So they agreed to do the, the music. So how are things going with this new play? Malik Jelani says, I produced an interfaith play, then all hell broke loose. <laughs> there has been a wave of anger on social media, mostly from what the article says are right-wing Christians who mostly had not seen the play. They thought it was blasphemous, anti-Christian, an attempt to create one world religion, perhaps, or maybe for Islam to take over Christianity or to dilute the Christian faith. As the author comments, it's odd to consider a play whose title means Blessed Christmas to be a war on Christ. But when tensions and distrust are high, it's easy for conflict to blare up anytime for any reason. Because the underlying tension is there. Hateful emails were also sent to the Methodist Church for participating in the play and also to the ushers. Merry Christmas. <laughs> How many of us even knew there was a version of the birth of Jesus in the Quran? We don't know that book very well. And so we probably didn't. I knew that Jesus was in the Quran and is acknowledged as a prophet. But I did not remember that there was a birth story with Mary, a virgin birth, 
and other familiar features. But of course, Muslims do not consider Jesus to be God or the Son of God. But he is honored as a prophet who came with an important message. All right. We know the Christmas story. So we know this story very well, and we know how it goes. Mary and Joseph, no room at the inn, the birth in the stable surrounded by shepherds and wise men and a chorus of angels above the stable and the animals, and of course, the evil King Herod, off in the distance somewhere, who is plotting to kill the child, but they escape a different way. The truth is, there is no version of the Christmas story in any of the scriptures that tells it the way I just summarized it. It's not in any one of the Christmas stories in the Bible. Our traditional story is really a composite of two different tellings of the Christmas story. One of them is in Matthew, and the other one is in Luke. There's no Christmas story in Mark or John. So it's really those two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, and when we tell it tomorrow night, you'll see how that works. Luke has the elements of the census. Remember, there's a census where Mary and Joseph have to go be counted, the stable and the shepherds and the angels. Those come from Luke. And then Matthew explains how Jesus was a descendant of King David, has the stable, no shepherds, but does have the kings who visit, or wise men as they're called, who visit King Herod before they go to the stable and then follow the star. And then Herod tells them to come back and tell him where they found the baby so that he can go and worship him too. And of course, we know that's not what he's going to do. And they are warned in a dream and go away. That's in Matthew, but not in Luke. So, if you promise not to look at the picture right now, but look at it later, I did put on a cover, don't look at it. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can hold out. A picture that we chose because it has all of those elements in one picture. And that's sort of the way we do it. But there's no account in the Bible that gives that, that version of the story, only parts of it. James Taylor, by the way, has a wonderful song about going home another way. Go check out that song. It's, it's great. Because that's what the wise men do uh, after they see the baby. So now we have at least four versions. We have the version in Luke. We have the version in Matthew. Then we also have the version where we put both of those stories together to make the Christmas story that we're most familiar with. And now we have one in the Quran as well. And undoubtedly there are other versions. And really, uh, most of our ancient stories have been told differently by different storytellers. 
These contrasting versions of, of most stories can really can be fascinating. For example, uh, Charlene Spretnick, a feminist writer, discovered an older version of the Persephone story. You know, Persephone gets uh, stolen away by Hades and taken down into the underworld for ends up staying six months there and six months above, and this is why we have the seasons. But in the version that Charlene Spretnak found, Persephone is not taken away by Hades. She makes a free decision to spend time in the underworld with the souls who are down there, and she sees that they're lonely and she wants to go and be with them. And then she makes a deal with her mom that she'll come back six months of the year. So both of those versions are used to explain the changing of the seasons, but otherwise they're, they're vastly different in their meaning. So many people who learn this fact regarding virtually all myths jubilantly proclaim that we now have proof that the stories are all false because they don't even agree with each other on what happened. Therefore, it's clear that they didn't happen at all. Checkmate. <laughs> and those folks do indeed have a piece of the truth. It is highly unlikely that these stories are historically factual. Just in very likely. But there are other kinds of truth in the world than historical truth. There's at least one other that we often call poetic truth or some other name like that, which speaks about truth in a different kind of way. Some stories just grab us by the heart, even when we know that they never really happen. When Amy was telling the story, I was having that experience. And then at the end, she told them that she heard the reindeer. Wow. Fascinating. I saw uh, the reading of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol at the GAR Hall two weeks ago. One of our members, uh, Theogene Kenyon, puts that show on every year. And I've seen it many times. And it's just six people standing. We had it here last year. It's just six people on a stage reading. That's all they're doing. They're just reading. One of them has some scarves she puts on from time to time. I still find myself moved by this story of a, the transformation of a greedy, lonely, old miser into an ecstatic new person in the course of that hour and 15 minutes. He, he just transforms. And he is so happy at the end of that story. He is so happy that he is physically having a hard time. He's just shaking because there are these energies in his body that have just been totally released and he can he literally can hardly stand it he is so happy 
There's a wonderful local actor named Charlie Brown who has done the part of Scrooge the last few years, and he portrays that, that he is just transformed into another person. And it's powerful. At least for me, it's a, a powerful story. So, if you want to convince me that that is not some form of truth, then we need to block out two or three hours and go have a discussion about them. I don't know if that'll be enough, but it's going to take a while. Some stories just grab us by the heart and won't let go. And so they're told and read and performed again and again in different versions with changes in the storyline. Some have the kings, some have the shepherds. You know. Some have the angels, some don't have the angels. The Muslims have their own version. Ebenezer Scrooge has been through so many versions. There's a story of Scrooge McDuck. Have you seen that? <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. And I just want to tell you, that one doesn't do it for me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't start crying at the end, or it's just like, whatever. But it does do it for some kids, and they get it. They get what's happening through that particular telling of the story. What a great thing. A story becomes a classic or part of our cultural treasury because it embodies some aspect of our human life that is universal and it's deeply important. It needs those two qualities. So Scrooge's transformation from miser to a generous lover of life or our feelings about the miracle of spring coming and going, or the hope for a Messiah who can bring peace and justice to an earth that's held in oppression by a greedy and merciless ruler. These stories appeal to us at a deep level, mostly unconscious, where our deep longings live on, we're hoping for love. We're hoping for peace in a troubled world. We're longing for justice to be done. Like Edmund Sears says in the carol, after so many years of wrong, we're waiting for that. So when certain stories ring that chord on one or more of those levels, and if they do it well, because they don't always do it well, and if you want to see dozens of stories that don't, just turn on the TV and watch a few more uh, true meaning of Christmas films. They don't all they don't all ring the chime, but. When a story does, then 
We want to hear that story again and again. We want to hear it because it has some effect on us. In ancient times, people would dress up at festivals in the characters of the myths. And then the festival fire would be lit and they would act out the myth. Someone would become the wild animal and someone would become the king and someone would be the princess. and They would act it out and become the characters. So we may think that we really don't do that, but actually last Sunday after church, about 35 of us went singing, starting over at Proctor Home, and we all put on the hats. We had Santa hats. We had elf ears. There was a great Hanukkah hat. There were uh, reindeer antlers. And so somehow we too took some joy in becoming the characters. We still want to do that. And then we went from place to place singing songs of Christmas and even singing them in the traditional language which irritates some people when they're not Christmas caroling. We, where you use, we're thinking, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. We'd have to have more talk about that. But in that moment, we're in that mythical space where we become the actors of the myth. And we act that out and share that experience with others. And evidently have a good time doing it. Evidently, this is fun because people do it year after year and then come back and feast afterwards which would be the ancient pattern as well. All right, so much for the facts. We know that we need to honor facts in our world. The facts are not doing well in our world, as a matter of fact. They're in a heap of trouble. And so part of our mission at this time is to uphold the value of facts. What really happened and what didn't, what the right numbers are, those things are important in a society that's going to live in a peaceful way. And when they are treated uncritically, then that becomes a serious problem. For example, when a particular myth is held on to so tightly that some people feel they can be oppressive towards others who don't believe in that myth, literally, then we have trouble. That's trouble in the world. And we have that trouble. I don't think our caroling group is probably in danger of doing that. But when I hear the responses to the play in Chicago, then we see an example of how being holding too tightly to a story and not letting there be any flexibility with that 
or other perspectives can be oppressive. So, at least in my view, what's of highest value in this season is the actual experience of love, the actual experience of peace, the actual experience of forgiveness. Linda White stood here yesterday after her son had been killed by someone in a very confused state of mind and talked about forgiveness. So that's the actual experience of forgiveness. The actual experience of compassion and transformation and new hope. It's not the historical truth of a virgin birth or a totally unlikely astronomical event. Love is love, whatever package it may appear in. Peace is peace, and we need it so urgently. Even King Herod is an archetypal figure who appears in many forms in our world. And when he does appear, then we have to find another way to go, not back to him. We have to find another way. Joseph Campbell, who was the master of myth in our time, said that the myths are creative manifestations of humankind's universal need to explain psychological, social, cosmological, and spiritual reality. So there are vehicles that express our inner world, our inner life, our longings, our desires, our hopes, our fears. And when a story grabs that, then that becomes a powerful story for us because it resonates with what's inside of us. Martin Luther King understood this so well, and when he said that we're going to get to the promised land, the promised land is not locatable on your GPS. You could type in promised land, I have no idea what would come up. But that's not, it's not a place. It's not a, it doesn't have coordinates. It's a state of consciousness, really, where everyone is valued and respected. And the way he reframed that old story, that old myth, which, by the way, has its own problems, but how he told it in such a heartfelt way, then that resonated with this deep yearning we have for justice that is so strong in us, and that story just woke that up in people. And so it just created all kinds of powerful energy. And everyone who's not totally closed up to the experience of compassion knows that this was a kind of truth, a powerful truth, 
It's real. Our world is profoundly in need of a transforming story to believe in. The Christian myth has lost a good bit of its power in recent years for several reasons. One of them is carrying on an unwinnable war with science. A dogmatic and rigid approach to truth and some truly disastrous moral judgments. And as a good universalist, I don't think the hell part works at all and has become, made it more difficult, I think, for people to make that their story. But despite all these serious problems, the message in that myth can still be discerned. It's, it's still in that story. You can see it in the excitement of children. You can see it in the universal experience of hope at the birth of a child, any child anywhere, in the deep longing for peace that we have and when the angels come and say that there will be peace on earth, that's exactly what we want to know. We want to think that it is coming, both for us and for the earth. And when we find that King Herod will not triumph over this message, then we have hope that even autocratic rulers, which are popping up all around the world, will not win the day and that we will find another way. We won't go back to them. We won't go back to them. So the old story still tells the truth, however encrusted it may be by greed and superficiality and huge gaps in compassion and, you know, many weaknesses, but it still has a truth in it. And the angels' voices can still be heard, and that's what Edmund Sears said in the song, could still hear, even though the world is in deep difficulties, you can still hear those messages of hope, and that's who the angels represent. They're announcing hope. Still going to come out. Joy is going to win. And that message can be heard even through all this static in the background. Because we know somehow that that promised land that that baby represents is still there within us waiting to be discovered and to be lived by all. So, let us listen to the old stories once again and then, like Scrooge, wake up to a new world. So be it.